it's a bit more collaborative, which is big talk for me. I actually largely putter around on my own. That's but. exactly what it is. <laughs> so, you know, we said he was like, we work so well together. We've rarely worked together. That's actually the reality. Is that of the it. key? Is that the key? How we to... work so well together. Yeah. There you go. How we work so well together is I rarely see him all day. I might put that on the shirt and send it to you guys. <laughs> no, I, so like I basically like will run the crew and I'm in charge of like basic vegetable production. He just gets everything prepped and does tractor work. And sometimes I think it's like, Oh, we're falling into those roles. I never wanted to fall into those roles, but then I'm like, but actually, that is, I'm doing the part that I want to do, and he's doing the part that he wants to do. So why are we pretending like right. that's not a thing? And he yeah. makes lunch, so that helps my ego. I think it's because that he's hungry and he wants to eat. And he's like, well, right. since it's I'm here, he will just gonna... wait. And I'm not I will. <laughs> I'll just be like, there oh, seems like a lot. I have a lot to do here. And then he's like, no, we're definitely eating right now. <laughs> This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast. I'm Matt DeRozier. Today, my guests are Tenzin and Stacey Botsford of Red Door Family Farm in Athens, Wisconsin, where they have 36 acres for their organic vegetables, operate a farm to family program, and also supply boxes of food for Afghan refugees. How are you guys doing today? We're great. great. Hi. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for being here. I appreciate your time. So do you guys want to tell me... How did you guys get started in farming? Um, everybody's story is a little bit different. And usually they like some people started on the farm. Their grandparents had a farm. Their parents left the farm. And somehow they made their way back to it. So how did you guys get started? Yeah, you want to go ahead. Well, we're, we're first generation back on the farm. Uh, both of us had grandparents who grew up on farms. Um, and so we started it all from scratch here essentially but uh i don't know i think we kind of came to it for maybe maybe our, our reasons are maybe prioritized differently but um uh for a variety of reasons including uh wanting to be tangibly productive on a day-to-day -day sense uh as well as wanting to tie into a community in a meaningful way and do something that we um, felt good about and something that we felt good about uh, raising a family doing. We actually came to farming separately. We went to high school together and then oh, cool. did a lot of other things separately. And then we kind of, we both came around to farming separately, which I thought I always think is like really interesting. I think <laughs> so, like, yeah. When we ended up like over a phone call deciding that maybe we should uh, have a farm and date again. <laughs> <laughs> again. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of a cool story. I like that. We so didn't then, rush in. <laughs> <laughs> so then how long have you been farming? Hmm. Well, um, we have been on this property uh for seven years before that we worked um in oregon at a um kind of a diversified animal farm for two years there and then before that i was two years on a vegetable organic vegetable farm so oh okay and then I'll, you just I'll decided go. to go do your own thing after that yep so we got some experience cool. in oregon and then uh 
at first we thought maybe we were going to stick around out there, but uh, land prices were really high and we just didn't feel like we could um, really afford to make a living at it there. So we grew up in Wisconsin. So then we're moving, relocating back home. Very Closer cool. to grandparents. There you go. Our, our, Where it all started. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then what motivates you to grow your own food? You want to take this one? Yeah. Uh, so I, um, we (laughs) probably in hindsight would have done a lot better growing other people's food. Um, (laughs) but, uh, no, I think we really like the challenge of putting something together. We work well together as a team um we worked together uh prior to starting a farm prior to getting married prior to dating again um and we knew that we enjoyed working together and that we sort of complement each other well and are willing to rely on each other in a certain in certain capacities not that we need to spend all day every day together uh in the same projects exactly but on the on the grander uh scale we seem to work well together and um i think that it was somewhat naive actually that we needed to start our own farm i don't think that we would have needed to we had some pretty interesting opportunities to uh you know maybe sort of buy in as uh, like on a partner level on a farm or manage farms or do different things that um I think now I see more opportunity there, whereas I didn't at the time. Uh, I was sort of, or maybe we were more hung up on uh, sort of well, but the whole idea is you have this land and then that land is worth, that's your retirement as you have created now a farm right. and that's your that's your nest egg for retirement. Now, I think having done more of the business management and the production end of things and all of that, I see that you could actually build a, uh, kind of like a legacy. Yeah. You can like, well, or or just, you could actually just put away money, you know, (laughs) you could work and you know, and you could be careful and run it like a business, which it is. And, and you could put away money and have a retirement that's made out of money instead of out of dirt. (laughs) Well, for me, Um, I think like growing our own food was important because um, or not growing our own food, but just growing food for the community. It was like a, tan- I, like I said before, like it's like a tangible thing that matters. And there's a lot of things that we can all do in the world that maybe matter. But for me, this is something that I know that I can do that can help, you know, and there will always be value in producing food. So it was important to be able to make a connection to people in that way for me. Yeah, that's great. There's, I think building community is really important. There's, um, I actually found you guys through Instagram, through another couple in Black Creek, Wisconsin, um, that they're all about community as well. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. I think food, I mean, even just culturally brings a lot of people together. And so that makes a lot of sense, especially when they can, um, find it locally. Like they don't have to go to the grocery store and be like, um, I don't really care where this goes from. Cause I think that's, that's actually starting to go away a lot more. Um, people are like, wait, this came from like thousand miles away when I know I passed, like, I don't know, two, at least two farms on my way to the grocery store that probably have what I'm buying. Like, this is insane. 
Um, We've been saying for a long time, you know, one of the reasons we do this because like the food system, the way it is, it can't sustain, it will collapse. And like, now that it's happening, you know, it's like, ah, like you don't want to see it happen, but at the same time, it's a little like, it was, it was obvious that it was right. going to happen. That right. it can't, it can't yeah. keep going the way it is. Right. Yeah. You hate to, you hate to be right, but you're like, I kind of saw this coming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the writing is on the wall and, and every, you know, big major recall that gets everyone's attention and gets some national news and every supply chain disruption and all those things uh, reemphasize that. And now they're not outliers. You know, people are just sort of expecting that sometime in the middle of summer, there's going to be a outbreak of something on some sort of lettucey thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wash with dirty water and yeah. Um, so what kind of methods, methods or practices or techniques do you have um, on your farm? I saw that you guys have like three really big greenhouses. Um, we have four. What, what else do you have? <laughs> four. four high tunnels. Yeah. Four high we're, we're about as far north in Wisconsin as I would ever like to try to grow vegetables for a living. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. And so we focus a lot on season extension. We also we focus a lot on the CSA as sort of the mainstay of our farm, which means that we need to have a variety over a, a, our 20 weeks of CSA at least. Um, and so that that is a a focus for us you know in just in maintaining that variety throughout that season um but we do also because it's a csa we have to we're really diversified so we have to grow a lot of different kinds of things um which i think is really fun because it's just fun to f like figure out the puzzle um but you know it's it's just many things so um we make sure that we have a really, you get, I don't know if you can see the map back here, but there's a really dynamic crop rotation. <laughs> that oh, like, yeah, yeah. Like things have to happen in a certain way and certain things have to fit in a certain way. And we, we put cover crop between our aisles so that we're making sure to like conserve the land in appropriate right. ways. And uh, we do use like plastic probably more than we'd like to, but like we said, we're, sure. we're pretty far north. And um, without that plastic, I'm not sure that we'd be able to continue growing the variety that we can grow. We grow on plastic at least as much for the soil warming properties of having black plastic right. as we do for the weed control. That makes sense. I mean, like, it's kind of like, uh, I hate to use it like a lot, but if this means that I'm able to generate income for myself, feed myself, feed all these families that are relying on our CSA boxes, like until a better option and um, frankly, cheaper mm -hmm. comes around, we're kind of stuck using yeah, plastic. We continue to like look for better options. You know, there's like some really interesting things happening in the hemp industry, hopefully making some sort of bio biodegradable plastics. Nothing has been organic certified yet. Um, or sort of, yeah. So that's a bit of a hang up for us. And, um, and yeah, it is, it's kind of like a necessary evil in, at the mm -hmm. moment, but that will be something that we just continue working on and hope that we can, yeah. you know, eventually find a better solution. So, um, 
Can you explain a little bit? You mentioned crop rotation as like a technique. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Like what crops you're using and how you decide and when you decide to um, rotate them around? We basically only get one crop per square, any given square foot on the farm throughout the year. Um, with Aside from in the hoop houses um, and with very few other exceptions where we double crop. Um, so our goal is to get, uh, either have it be coming out of a cover crop and going into a vegetable crop or have it be a vegetable crop and go into a cover crop. So it's getting, you know, so our, our double cropping, one of them is always a cover crop. And that's really because there's just not time in our season to have more other crops okay. and, even, and even in order to pull that off we're having to sow cover crops in before crops are out in many cases or, or vice versa um and so the rotation is basically uh you know we have uh vegetables grouped by family type essentially um and then you know smaller ones so like solanaceous we don't grow as many beds worth of uh warm season solanaceous crops outside uh and you know alliums kind of fit into one block so they're separate families but they move through the farm as a unit okay and, that makes a lot of sense and that way we're not putting you know we're not uh coming back through something that might still be harboring a disease from a previous crop of that family um and so that all it just basically traces around the farm we've got six blocks and they move we do refine that uh and move things around once in a while but we're kind of starting to settle into a groove and um the the basis for the rotation is sort of more or less based on weed pressure so we sort of start with the coming and and then there's so there's five blocks and then one of them is a fallow entirely fallow full season cover cropping situation oh. Okay. Where the chicken, so, that's where the chickens live. And then that's where the chickens live. And that cover oh, crop nice. primarily. Um, we do use them to clean up stuff that's harvested already once in a while too. That's um, a good technique. I like that. Yeah. And they, so that refertilizes the ground a lot and um, gives the ground a chance to rest for a full season without being worked up. Um, and so essentially coming out of that, then that should be our most weed-free period. So we put our more sensitive crops, carrots, um, mm. direct sown stuff that is not real vigorous. Um, and then we move through our plastic mulch beds, which have the weed control uh, effect of the plastic mulch, and then into our more vigorous seeded crops, beans and corns and things like that. That's awesome. I like that. I like that a lot. So what would you say that has worked well for you guys. I, it sounds like once you found out your little dynamic of the rotational um, cover cropping and um, crop rotation, um, that works That works pretty well. What else has worked pretty well for you guys in something that you found? Do you mean as far as just production? Um, it could be production, could be a method that you've tried or like, hey, orientating the chicken coop or whatever, 45 degrees this way <laughs> works better for egg laying production or I don't know, like phases of the moon has worked for us. I <laughs> right. Okay. 
Um, well, I think as far as like the stuff that's in plastic, for anyone who doesn't know what that looks like is a, it's a raised bed and the plastic goes over the top and then it's maybe raised about four inches and then there's some mm -hmm. dirt on the side. So holding um, the like holding the plastic down and then there's about, so the, the top of the bed is maybe three foot wide. The whole bed maybe takes four feet and then there's about three feet between each bed. So pretty like big distance. Yeah. Um, over time, we've sort of changed this method because at first we would make the beds and then there'd be incredible weed pressure in the aisles. So even though you had this nice clean bed, you have this weed pressure, which is just dropping weed seeds. And it's also um, creating sort of barriers for the wind. So then we had more disease. Um, so we knew we had to figure something out for that. So then we started planting cover crops just with like a drop seeder down the aisles. And we thought, this is great. This is the thing now. And then we'd go through and we'd mow them. And that worked pretty slick. But then there's like this edge of the bed. Sorry, my mm -hmm. camera's <laughs> opposite. <laughs> the edge of the bed that was like really challenging. So we'd go through and we would hand like with just like um, stirrup hose, um, go through and hit all the edges of the beds. And that would take mm. weeks, weeks at a time. So finally, because of Instagram, I saw this really cool video um there we have these tractor mounted like coulters kind of not coulters like um what are they called like spider hose like spider hose they're like okay. um you know what spider hose they're like kind of just like fingers yeah um, and they will get they'll kind of hit the edge of that bed i'm trying to like simplify it because i don't want to get in the weeds too much here but um yeah good luck. um but that that tiny little tool that we figured out has saved us. I mean, like last year, we didn't even like know what to do with all of our free time. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like Tensa could do He would like drive and we would be out in the field just like thinking about like, okay, we have to do this next. And then he'd be like, no, I finished the entire farm. And it was so, I guess we've learned how to mechanize a little bit. That's like the takeaway story. We didn't think sure. we were going to be as big as we are. We didn't think we were going to be mechanized. We thought we were just going to do everything by hand. We just have changed our tune in a big way when we found out how effective tractors can be. It's amazing. The employees are like clapping as he goes by, like, good job, man. <laughs> it's just like a parade, but the tractor's rustier. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, some of them are, some of the praise will still have 120-year-old tractors ro rolling through there. Still sounds the same. Yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah, so that was like the biggest groundbreaker for us recently. And I know that maybe if you're not like like fully into the farm scene, you can't like appreciate that little nugget, but it was pretty great. <laughs> well, the way sure. Go ahead. style of agriculture creates a whole lot of edge space, whether that's sort of the headlands at the end of the beds or just the edges actual edges of each bed and we didn't have a solid system in place for managing that and it really got a, would get away from us and it's so this allows us to hit that timing window and get that you know nip that in the bud sure yeah I'm, what i was going to say was um i'm sure all the even homesteaders and like you know full-time farmers when they find like that little, uh, little tool that makes their, that shaves off tons of time or makes it easier, both if it's, if they're lucky, um, they're just like, they know that feeling. They know what exactly what you're talking about. So, um, so you guys had a problem with the weeds in between the beds. 
Um, so your system at the time wasn't working well. Was there something else that 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 has failed or that you guys like got away from or you, you had to modify it because it wasn't working? Uh, is there any other? So many failures. Yeah, I want to hear them. I want to hear. Oh, so many. Uh, the big one when we sure. first moved here. Oh, actually, the first one was that we lived in a camper. That was a fail. <laughs> that sucked. Just because it's. Sorry, you're going to start traveling soon, are you? Ours was parked in a mud, mud hole. hole. No. Oh, so when, okay. When we moved here, we lived in this camper, and that was like a really difficult time for us. But then we built these three hoop houses and they were like hoop houses made of love. We bought them off Craigslist for like $3,000 and every, like we put them together. We're so broke. We put them together like with screws from Tenson's dad's like garage or like his neighbor yeah, or something. Actually a friend of my dad's. So like every <laughs> screw was a different bit. So we're like, oh my together with, like every single different bit that you had. Just take so that bit and go right. Three bits. <laughs> I had like three bits in my mouth and you'd like, you know, swap them out all the time. So we build these hoop houses and they're wonderful. We're so proud of them and they're just like amazing. And then like we had them for one year. You can see where this is going to go. <laughs> we had them for one year and then straight line winds hit just right and blew them all up. Like they went over the house. They went a hundred meet, oh like hundred yards down into our ponds. Like it was a, just a disaster in the middle. Like it was right in the morning. It was on our, our youngest daughter's first birthday. <laughs> it's a great memory, right? So um, that was a good lesson because they were insured. <laughs> <laughs> And that's that is a good have. tip, actually. So I always say, like those were like our, like those were like our liberal arts students. Like they were so well-meaning. They meant so well, and they were just <laughs> the most lovely hoop houses ever. And then now we have like we put them at the bottom of the hill, which is also a good lesson. We have like they're like German soldiers. They're like really beefy and stacked perfectly and they're exactly the same size the same and size the all same the screws are the same model. all the same yeah everything is like perfect with them um so hoop house placement was a really good lesson for us having insurance was a really good lesson for us um hiring the right people i think that has been a really good lesson for us over job. time um, as far as crop production i feel like every year there's like a little nugget of information but nothing is like as dramatic as like mo like the people and the, the stuff i think has been more don't you think yeah that for sure yeah i mean we've had yeah we've we've tilled whole crops in on occasion but usually there's something salvageable out there um but there's yeah there's and there's a lot of that like planting onions three to a hole has saved us i don't even know how many hours and mm -hmm. personal favors but um <laughs> We've, pretty much everybody that we know has planted onions on our farm for some amount of time in the last seven years. I don't. <laughs> I don't eat. Uh, I don't eat onions. My wife is allergic. Why do you plant three to a hole? Or th yeah, because uh, they still grow, but it's a lot easier to plant them three to a hole than to tease them apart and shove little baby roots down each hole. Yeah. So okay. we used to just plant. So we would put them in the trays when we were, you know, seeding them, and okay. then we pull them apart and put one per hole in the plastic and then i was at some conference somewhere and somebody was like no we just we just take the whole plug and put three to a hole and i was like that doesn't affect your yields and they were like nah 
So then the first year I just said, well, let's just trial it because that would be way easier. And it totally worked. So mm-hmm. now we plant three to a hole and you take that, that for us, we're on the transplanter. So we just pop yep. the whole thing out and you just shove them in. And it's it's definitely cut it in at least time in half. I'd say even more than half. So then yeah. are you also, your yield is, is it actually three times on your onions? No, we space the holes out a little bit more. But oh, then uh, it okay. just saves the time transplanting them, but also they fill out that hole faster. So they have less weed pressure and uh, then those holes are spaced apart and they seem to grow just fine mashed in next to each other. It'd be a third better though. We used, to, we used to plant them at six inches and now we plant them at a foot. Right. But the onions That's are the good same tip. size. And the onions are essentially the same size, but they're just way easier to, they just, they fit the system better. So it's a way to get the onions to fit our transplanting and cultivation system. Sure better with less make it a little smoother yeah, yeah i got you i got which you. is definitely a big thing um you know figuring out spacings on things and mm-hmm. getting them to work out to the oh, best of your ability other things we used to do we used to do farm to table dinners so <laughs> fun really we were really good at them we have a beautiful barn and we would make these gigantic farm to table it was like a community thing i'm assuming yeah well we'd charge okay. you know would pay tickets and it was a community thing, make them yeah make the, money on it right make them a we big spent deal. a lot of money on it and we <laughs> made that money back yeah so it was it was awesome people still are asking us to do these farm to table dinners there is definitely a place in the world for these farm to table dinners but at one point we just were like we don't like this cool. <laughs> we don't well that helps that helped us but we didn't want to do it anymore covid just made it so we had an excuse but sure. um we were farming and we were farmers and all of a sudden one week, a y- like out of the year, we decided that we we're going to be totally different people. Yeah, all of a sudden and, we're going to be a restaurant. Yeah. And we had to change our <laughs> entire farm into a restaurant and make it like, like restaurant worthy and the barn had to get, and it was amazing and it was beautiful. But what actually happened was we got different employees and they were like, we didn't sign up for this. And I was like, you're totally right. You did not sign up for this. <laughs> um, and then we dropped the the these meals, even though they're really well received and people really want them. But that was just like a, it was just because we wanted to have a life that we enjoyed and that was not enjoyable anymore. Sure. So I would say that was it wasn't necessarily a fail, but it wasn't like something that enjoy. I enjoyed. Well, sure. and it kind of it, it sort of put us on the map and with some different people uh, in our community that I think was helpful. I felt like it after after hosting the farm dinners it got easier to fill the csa our our farmers market sales went up they're just it just you know it gave people that connection to our farm and the you know whatever it was mm-hmm. them and their word of mouth impact did seem to ripple out which was our 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 real goal with that in the first yeah. place um because even though we grew up here i mean we weren't farmers we were just kind of like kids <laughs> you know we were gone but nobody particularly years. wanted to hang out with as an adult <laughs> sure uh, so we had to kind of reintroduce ourselves to the community in that way and it did work very well for that um and i think that you know all all of this or much of this is to say that you know we used to kind of um do things thinking can we pull this off and will it be of value 
but we had a tendency to not see uh, the value in not pushing too far outside of our normal parameters um, or sort of the value of the efficiency of keeping up on things. And so I think in the last couple of years, A, we've had um, really solid employees and had a really good team. Um, and we've put a lot of energy into trying to maintain that. Um, but uh, we also have reduced the number of external things. I think it's really easy, you know, you have a farm, it's not that hard to raise a few pigs. And if you're going to raise a few pigs, you might as well raise a dozen pigs, you know, and just things like that. So many things, right. But they all kind of add up and they all gobble in a half an hour, an hour of your day. And so anything that really sort of detracts or takes a different energy. So even like the uh, animals, which I, I love raising pigs, they're near and dear to my heart. I feel like I understand the world like a pig does we relate to each other um but you know it's like okay this is a you know the manure on my boots now is is a safety hazard once i walk out of the pig pen <laughs> and so now i've got to kind of manage that and compartmentalize my day and so it's a it's just a totally different schedule and a totally different energy and a totally different thing and whereas there are there can be some very good um symbiotic relationships there many of them actually are just sort of another distraction as well well and then people wanted the stuff so we would always right. say yes i think for a long time we felt like we had to say yes to everything like they but they want the dinners you know but they want pigs like everybody really wants chicken everyone wants eggs and we just kept we just said yes to everything yes 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 and at some point i think it was like maybe three years ago we were like I don't think we can keep doing like, this is too much. Right. So then we started like really looking at like what things make us happy and what can we do to make this a good life? And I think we did, we like, did we cut some of the fat and we maybe focused a little bit on what is that we like to do. We got better at saying no, although I'm not great at saying no. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it has been more enjoyable, I think. Oh, I think so too. And I, so I think what did you have to cut? Pigs. <laughs> the pigs, the pigs went. Okay. Well, we, we cut chickens and now they're back because one of our employees is is running her own chicken operation on on the farm. That's so, and, cool. But she's doing layers. We were just doing broilers. She's doing layers and broilers. But the layers actually, it turns out, I was never willing to give up that much daily time to egg washing and all that sort of stuff. Um, but they fit the farm much better. Their their impact. Uh, fits the rot the crop rotation much, much better than the broilers, which were in little tractors and we were pulling them around all the time. So it took more time in many ways. And, and it just, you know, we couldn't cover a block of ground with them. We could cover a few beds a year, which was just never going to keep up with it. They did a great job on those few beds, but it wasn't really keeping up with mm -hmm. the pace of the rest of the farm. So the layers uh, work a lot better for that. And That's pretty cool. Um, potatoes are another thing. Potatoes. So now we trade. We we grow carrots very nice, like easily from for, like usually carrots are a really tough crop. Carrots grow really well here. Potatoes do not. We're in really heavy soil, 
Um, and our neighbors to the south of us, just like on the other side of this river, um, it's really sandy down there. They grow really great potatoes. And finally, I was like, can we just trade? And they were so happy because their potatoes are worth less money than our carrots are. But for us, like the value of not having to grow them, it saves mm-hmm. me money to not have to grow them. For sure. Um, because we just want them for our CSA. So it's not like. And ourselves. Yeah, and ourselves. <laughs> but like, I'm not taking them to the farmer's market. I'm not trying to do anything. You, need to ha- you have to have potatoes in the CSA. So um, that was like kind of, we kind of, we do trade carrots for other things. I guess mostly just potatoes, right? Oh, well, they, they're becoming, for apples. Yeah, they've become a big currency for us. But um, carrots. That's are? one, thing that, that's one yeah. thing that we've that we've dove into more and more each year, which was really just we had a a, a, a really good carrot year one year, and we thought, wow, this is going to turn out. You know, we were getting double the yield we initially thought we were going to get, um, or you know, expected to get. And so we thought, wow, we got a lot of carrots here, you know, maybe we, so we, you know, reached out and said, you know, is anyone looking for carrots? And a lot of people took us up on it and they said, yeah, great. And it was mostly other CSAs in the area saying, you know what, my Mm -hmm. carrots didn't grow well this year and we would take a few hundred pounds here and a few hundred pounds there. And then there were a couple of really large uh, CSAs down farther in the Southern part of the state and serving sort of like the Chicago area. And, um, they were like, yeah, I mean, we'll take thousands of pounds of carrots. And all of a sudden it was just, they were really yeah. moving. Now we're growing carrots for seven CSA farms. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Good for you guys. That's cool. Yeah. it's It kind of fits for us. And I, I always like worry that too much of our farm is becoming carrots because like, what if something happens, you know, like that's the whole reason we're diversified, right. but it's always gone well so far. And yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what's. You, you, you said you kind of rotate your, your box from week to week. Um, what's, are there some things that are in the box every week? And then like some things that some, some weeks it's in the box and claims it's not in the box. You want to, you want to talk about that a little bit? So there's always eight to 12 different things in the box. There's like, we have like categories of things is the way I do it. Uh, you either get carrots or beets, and it's usually carrot, 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 beets, like three carrots and then a beets. <laughs> Sometimes it's carrot, carrot, beet. You never know. Um, and then uh, like a hearty thing. So there'll be potatoes or sweet potatoes or squash or um, just those bigger root things. Usually there's going to be cucumbers every week when we have them. Um, there's tomatoes every week when we have them. There's always a fresh eating thing. So like peas or beans or there's cherry tomatoes or strawberries. Um, there's always an herb, so uh, we rotate every kind of herb that we can grow, um, except for the ones that don't taste good. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what am I missing? And then there's like always like the seasonal be- like things like sweet corn when it comes, um, when the peppers melons when they come, melons when they come, when they come. peppers mm, usually are every week that come. are around. Yeah, we do mushrooms as well. Um, so Very I kind of cool. have like it. You, we, I don't know really the week before what's going to go in the box, but I have a general sort of um, recipe for how, what the box should be. We try really hard to make sure that the stuff can be like used together. So for example, you'd put like, uh, so like we have a, a salsa box that we do every year where I just put That's like cool. lots of paste tomatoes and maybe I'll do some sweet peppers and some spicy peppers and cilantro and fresh onions and just things that would go well in the salon or in a salsa. Yeah. Um, 
There's Try to get leeks boxes. and potatoes in the same box for, yeah. you know, stuff like that. We also do dry beans and popcorn in case, like, something happens on the farm where we're feeling like, oh, that's kind of a light week. We can always put in dry beans or popcorn or maple that's syrup. That's pretty neat. Um, we found that, that it just makes it nicer if you have some stable things here, just waiting for a disaster, you know. Take some of the pressure off. <laughs> yep. It's good for my anxiety. <laughs> do you – so do you bring in – anything else from other farms do you do you include the laying like 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 a dozen eggs or half a dozen eggs or any um protein in those boxes or just like straight vegetables and some fruit sometimes the box itself is just vegetables we have a small share and a large share and then there's another egg add-on that you can get either every week or every other week and that's run completely by our employee um, okay. you know, I market it but through it, Red Door. And, but it's happening here on our farm. Yeah, it gets delivered through our farm. It goes to the same drop sites and everything. Sure. Then we, we buy in coffee for people who want to do a coffee add-on. Um, and then we That's have... That's cool. I like that. Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty popular. And then we have a shrub add-on, which is... I'm not sure if you're familiar with shrub. It's kind of like a sipping vinegar. Siren hmm. um, Shrub is a friend of ours and they're just south of us here. And um, so you can do like a shrub every month if you wanted to sign up for that. So those are just add-ons that you can do. This winter, Very we're cool. also adding on like canning add-ons. So like we have a winter share that goes seven weeks long. And then there's a, they, we're going to add on this like canning share where you can get, you know, tomato sauce or salsas or pickles or all the other good and that's, things. That's being done by someone else too. Yeah. And she often comes and... We'll pick for half or we'll glean from so the it's end our of the bed. stuff that's being canned. Yeah, much of it's ah. our, our farm and it's a little That's cool that it's coming back in just a different form. I like that. That's yeah. that's very cool. We started really doing that last year. She had, you know, we, we sort of trade and barter back and forth to some extent, but we had gotten out of whack and she said well i owe you guys a bunch of money and we're like well i would way rather have canned goods <laughs> right so we like we didn't and i just didn't get a lot usually i do like can a lot of tomato sauce and just you know food for the winter and i just blew it totally blew it and i was just so then i just was like we'll just trade you so we got like a case of tomato sauce and a case of salsa and a case of pickles and a, i mean it was i that's all i'm that's gonna great. do that every year from now on it was like such never a eaten idea. better <laughs> no it's so good <laughs> That's great. How many boxes do you put out a week then? Um, so that's a little complicated because so our CSA is about 130 shares. Then okay. I kind of talked a little bit about this other share that we do. It's um it's for a food banks. Uh so the that's a different box. It's made it's mostly just like um it is like a CSA, but it's more like um recognizable really popular popular staple food you know like carrots and potatoes and green beans and tomatoes and things that everyone knows what to do with mm. um and it that one it goes to different people all the time so we don't have to worry about getting tons of variety all the time and that's 50 more so there's those 50 and then there's the 10 more that go to the afghani families who also have a list of i won't say requirements but like wants and desires um, what does that look like? I'm curious about that. What is that like um, the wants and desires like uh, wish list? What is so yeah, and we're then just, what can you we're fulfill just, it? Yeah, we're putting it out now. So this is not something that they get to like choose what they're gonna get. They're just letting us know what kind of food they're familiar with and what they would like. So yeah, I'm totally like we we just sent that survey out. We yeah. haven't gotten it back yet. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. But, um, well, we have like talked to them though, and like uh, for example, like fresh herbs are a really big one. 
they really want a lot of fresh herbs, which is good because I wouldn't have known. Most people, when our, we get our, we do a lot of surveys. And when we get our surveys back from the CSA, there there's a little wishy-washy about the fresh herbs. I think a lot of people don't know how to use the, because they're expensive and they're not very good in the grocery store. So unless you have right. access to fresh herbs, you kind of have to learn how to use them. Well, most like Afghani families, in my experience, know how to use herbs, tomatoes, eggplants, fennel is a big one, potatoes, mm. just really vegetable heavy diet. Um, and that was, was a funny thing because they said, like, if you don't, if you're Afghani and you don't have money, you eat vegetables. That's what like people who don't have money eat. And here they took their, you know, it's a snap card to the store to get their vegetables and they, they use the entire month in one week. Because, A, it's out of season. It's out of season October. Vegetables. You know, it's like yeah. out of season vegetables. You can't buy 25 pounds of tomatoes right now. So that was where we kind of thought, like, this is a need that we need to be able to fulfill. Like, we have vegetables. Not now, but we will right. soon. Um, yeah. So then we have those additional shares. They just look a little different. So it just, like, kind of plays a little different into that number. Um, what would you say the biggest challenge in farming has been like that, that you faced, um, is has it been like marketing, getting up and going, um, trying to fill your CSA boxes, um, anything like that? What do you think? Being able to afford a tractor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think that there's been like a lot of things, you know, there's a lot of steps, but I think we've always been really happy with our choices. Um, I think it's been learning while doing, mm. you know, so you can't stop. The show doesn't stop. You have to keep producing. There's still, everything's going to market and it's nonstop. So you have to be making emergency decisions especially early on it's getting a little bit less so but you have to be able to make that emergency decision and table how i'm going to improve that for next season in many cases or next you know my next go around so there's i think that is the the hardest part at least uh you know as first generation farmers mm -hmm. uh it feels yeah like, we've gotten way better at disasters yeah like Disaster management specialist. <laughs> oh, so like, yeah, just last year we had a little, it was a, not a high tunnel, just a little one, like one of those caterpillar tunnels. And I watched it blow away and I was just like, oh, shoot. And I just remember thinking like, Boy, just like two years ago, I would have cried so many tears. Instead, I was just like, that's another thing we're going to have to fix. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I am numb to it now. Sure. Um, um, the big thing for us though, was learning to be uh, employers and learning to be uh, sort of managers and learning to run the farm as a business. Sure. Um, which just kind of goes back to, I think a lot of those, you know, successes and failures we were discussing earlier is, you know, when it's a farm, it's easy to add this thing or that thing. And it's easy to want to do anything anybody's ever done on a farm. And, you want, you have a personal relationship with your customers, which is hugely valuable. And our farm would not exist, would not be able to exist without that relationship. But it also means that you want to say yes to people. You want to do, you want to, and everybody's got an idea for you. Um, but unless you're actually here farming for a while and can think of something that fits well within the system on all the levels, it's, 
rarely worth taking up. And I think, so, you know, we got into farming because we like digging in the dirt. We like eating. We like those sort of tangible aspects of farming. I don't particularly like working on tractors. Uh, we don't particularly like marketing and emails and internet surveys. That was a whole thing. Uh, you know, but we've learned to do those things and to embrace them sort of for what they bring to the table. And right. so I love that I can get 80% of the weeding on the whole farm done in a day when conditions are right. So as much as I dislike swearing at rusty metal in the shop, I do like when it works. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about your employees a little bit. So how many employees do you have? Well, we have um, one employee who's year round, so never is here all year. Um, and we have two more employees who will be full time. And then we have two more employees who are part time. Yeah, that's right. And then we both work on the farm full time. So we don't yeah, have but you guys work for free. So it doesn't count. That is true. <laughs> Truth. It's very nearly but, true. <laughs> it's nearly true. But uh, we don't have off farm jobs, which I think it we do count as like part of the labor staff. So um, the one person that we have who works full time year round is on a salary, but they get paid kind of like a teacher does where they get paid, you know, the same amount every month. But it's like working basically like 30 hours a week, which makes it. Um, so in the summer, obviously, he's probably working like 50s and 60s. In the winter, she's working like 10, maybe. Okay. Hours. So that's, that's a nice setup for them that, you know, hey, I feel like I'm working a lot during the summer because I am and not like mm -hmm. getting paid for it. But that gets stretched out over, you know, the winter months where it's just, I'm, I'm not well, working think, that much, but we, I'm still We probably would be, you know, otherwise we'd be paying by the hour and we, it would probably add up to the same amount of money, but this right. particular person just liked the comfort of knowing that they were going to have the same paycheck every month, which was something that was easy for us to do for them. So it was That's mostly awesome. just trying to make them comfortable. And I'm sure it, like, it helps you guys too, because then it's not a bunch of money all summer. Then, you know, you know, you have this steady expense every month, even through yeah. the winter. Yeah. We just have so to that remember that, that we have to pay people in the winter because right. we don't make money in the winter. <laughs> sure. I mean, that, that part of it is nice. Um, the one part of it, which is a, maybe almost counterintuitive, is that it makes me more self-conscious about asking her to do other things, you know, beyond the normal workday because mm -hmm. she's not directly compensated for that and so it, sure. it took us getting to where our our farm farming style was pretty refined to the point where we weren't pulling late nights and early mornings and all hands on deck and calling in favors from every friend and family we could remember and that sort of stuff um to where we felt comfortable even offering that yeah our hours are pretty i'm pretty strict on making sure that we start and end at the same time every or like the time that's set we don't we don't often go over right and there's always there's some you know where this storm is coming and we just gotta everybody's gonna have to just hammer down and go and let's try to mm -hmm. make this thing happen but there <clears throat> we do a lot of things to minimize those emergency situations and when they're emergency situations, people largely understand. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, so our, our two employees, we just finished, there's um, a veggie grower apprenticeship program that it just started in Wisconsin. Um, these were 
the second and third apprentices to go through the program. And um, it's a two-year program that teaches organic vegetable production. So they, um, they have a big, gigantic booklet of things that we have to teach them. And then um, they do some online classes. They do some in-person classes. They go on some tours and everything. And they both now are graduating this year um, and now have both decided to stay with this farm. So um, I think that's been a really good experience for us because um, because we taught them so much, they're so valuable now. And because mm -hmm. they understand everything about the way our farm works, I think our farm is pretty interesting. So they want to continue to stay. Uh, we also have on-farm housing. So we built two tiny houses that they live in. That's so cool. Live on the farm and they get to kind of have the farm experience without um, having to, you know, drive back and forth from some crappy apartment in town or something like that. Right. So things that we can do to kind of like make it a nicer place to be because we certainly like aren't the best playing like paying place in town. You can like go to like the cheese factory down the road and make like thirty dollars an hour right now. So we have Whoa, to like that's, crazy. that's an, sorry, that's really? an exaggeration. But uh, not by the, a lot. It's in the twenties. It's, yeah. it's Wisconsin. Of course it's there's cheese and it pays. <laughs> oh yeah, that's real. <laughs> there's like lots of cheese factories. <laughs> that's not the the thirty dollars was an exaggeration, not the cheese factory. Maybe not. I mean, I just saw a sign you can get seventeen fifty for overnight stocking at Walmart. So yeah, I, I yeah. So yeah, so like we're obviously not gonna be we we can't pay that, but we can like make this like a nice place to be and a nice life and a nice farm and um, and I think people just can have a more holistic idea of what it is if you're staying because I think part of the benefit, part of like the payout of having a farm and it's not just this, but is being able to be here and having, you know, the sunrise and the sunset and the, right now we have sandhill cranes. I don't know if you guys That's get cool. sandhill cranes, but they like, they sound like dinosaurs or like the big, like with like flocks of them in our field. That's cool. It is very cool. That's really cool. Cause I was going to ask you how, um, how you retain employees. Um, and it sounds like, you know, housing's a big deal. Um, consistent hours are a big deal. Um, and it, what else, what else do you guys do to try to, uh, well, this apprenticeship program. Yeah. So we, yeah. We spend a lot of time teaching them, finding out what they're interested in and trying to like, like help them pursue that. So like, for example, Alex is doing the chicken. So we're helping her with her chicken business, supporting her in that way. Ethan was um, horrified that we were giving up the potatoes. So he has a little potato side gig that he's doing and we sell those for him. Um, just like, I also like genuinely love my employees. Like they bring so much value to the farm and they make farming so much more fun that it, it's not hard for me to like, be respectful of them or try to make them happy because I like them. I like who they are and I would like them sure. to be happy. Um, That's really cool. They get like, you know, they get a stipend for gear because it's cold here. So I try to make sure that we, um, they're able to afford the things they need to make it a comfortable workplace. Um, I don't know. Just hire good people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's your ground. We, we learned to, um, to value employees uh, because we realized that we were not going to make this farm run on our own. And 
um, we don't just need somebody to show up and be here on time and, you know, toil a certain amount. We need somebody who's invested in what we're doing here and is interested in farming. It doesn't have to be exactly for our reasons, but they have to have some reason why this is important to them and that right. they are motivated to see this thing succeed. And then we had to change our work style and the way we sort of organize a lot of things too, to make it so that that is reflected in the way uh, the day, you know, we're all, we all show up and help make this thing happen. And it's not like, okay, you're going to go do this for 10 hours and try to make sure you've got at least this much done by five. It's here's what needs to happen so that we're in good shape going into next week and let's all work together and get this done. And um, so I think it's a bit more collaborative, which is big talk for me. I actually largely putter around on my own. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) So, you know, we said he was like, we work so well together. We rarely work together. That's actually the reality. Is that the key? Is that the key? Yeah. There you go. How we work so well together is I rarely see him all day. I might put that on the shirt and send it to you guys. No, I, so like, I basically like will run the crew and I'm in charge of like basic vegetable production. He just gets everything prepped and does tractor work. And sometimes I think it's like, oh, we're falling into those roles. I never wanted to fall into those roles, but then I'm like, but actually that is, I'm doing the part that I want to do and he's doing the part that he wants to do. So why are we pretending like that's not a thing? And he makes lunch. So that helps my ego. (laughs) I think it's because that he's hungry and he wants to eat. And he's like, well, right. since I'm here, he will just I'm gonna... wait. And I'm not I will. I, I'll just be like, <laughs> there you uh, go. He's like, oh, I have a lot to do here. And then he's like, no, we're definitely eating right now. I'm the same way. Like, hey, guess what? I made breakfast and uh, Milo and I already ate. So here you go. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. Oh, you're still in bed? That's fine. Take your time. Yeah. Um, I think retaining employees is also a um is also another key to being sustainable because if you have high turnover that's not very sustainable what are you doing in your like your system that you just have like you never keep the same people year after year or even month to month if it's really bad um so what what else makes you guys sustainable Oh, it's such a good question and that's really astute i just was having a conversation with a neighboring farmer about this and that that is one of the main keys to sustainability is well there's like two types of sustainability right because like we talk all the time about the sustainability of the agriculture which we're doing right we're Mm -hmm. all striving to be like as sustainable as possible but so many of farms like ours are unsustainable in the other sense where they cannot keep this up and you're absolutely right that like having good employees is what sustains the farm to be able to continue working. There's so many farms like us It this size of farm and kind of like what we're doing, the CSA model um, that burn themselves out. There's lots, lots of friends who are divorced, lots of friends who are just ready to quit and just not enjoying it anymore. And so we talk all the time about like what, what, you know, that aspect of sustainability. Cause we know we're doing a pretty good job in the other aspect of sustainability, but like, what are we doing to make sure that we can keep farming? And like, one of them is like, you have to make money. So like, 
I think for us, money was a bad word for a little while. We were like, but we're trying to do a good thing. You know, it shouldn't be all about the right. money, but it has, there has to be because we'd like to pay our employees well, because right. like we like to be able to feel like we can make it without having another job because we do a better job if we're here on the farm. Um, we can't Absolutely. do a good job if we don't feel like our kids are being taken care of. So day, like having a babysitter come has been our like, that for a while they were our best paid employee with babysitter because like without the kids being happy and well cared for, we absolutely could not continue on. Do you want to add to this? I'm rambling now. No, I, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And I think, um, you know, it's easy to overlook that. And I, I specifically came to farming from a ecological mindset and that was my main impetus for this. And I tend to bog down in that, um, but the, and I, not to take anything away from that, it's super important. Right. And I think that's um, among the biggest things that we as a society can do. It's uh, reprioritizing how we uh, facilitate or, um, you know, subsidy program and all that sort of stuff uh, to, to allow farmers to do a better job of that. But um the at the end of the day i can tell that the farm is healthier the soil is healthier the plants want to grow the just the whole farm ecosystem is healthier and that's what i need to use as my metric um rather than being on the cutting edge of every um you know regenerative egg yeah option um because we do, we need to pay people and we need to have a, a lifestyle that is sustainable for us, but also like a, a farm style, a farm lifestyle um, that is, you know, respectful. And, you know, our, our season is manic by its short nature, but um, the, the day can't feel manic all the time. So there has to be right. start points and end points. And sometimes you just have to triage certain things and let them go and try to do a better job next year or, or not or whatever. <laughs> One thing that we did that was like just a concrete example was, um, so my kids were little, I mean, they're still pretty little, they're six and nine now, but when they were really little, um, I would wake up in the morning to be at work by six so we could get all the really you know, heat sensitive stuff out of the ground. And then I wouldn't see them, you know, they would go off to daycare. And I, I was always like, I'm, I can't, I'm not like missing out on this, like part of my, my kid's life. And I didn't feel good about that. So we made a mandatory breakfast. So we pay our employees to take breakfast so that I can come in and have breakfast with my kids. So for, we work from six to seven 30 and then everybody goes home and they have a cup of coffee and they eat some breakfast and I get to hang out with my kids for a little bit. And then we start back up at eight o'clock. And what I found is I'm happier because I get to see everybody. Everyone just is like a cleaner, nicer day. Um, but the employees actually were like way happier, even though they said that they didn't want it. They were like, no, let's just get it done. Um but everybody needs to eat and poop and, you know, just get recharged a little bit. Working from six to noon is way too long, really, even for people who are tough and believe they can. Like everyone has like a 
sugar thing that happens in their brain. So when we started doing that, we started becoming more productive. Yeah. So like just taking the time to like recognize That's what cool. people happy actually made people more productive. And I was doing it for my own selfish reasons, but now we're like, that's it's mandatory, mandatory breakfast. So <laughs> that's a, that's like crazy that someone uh, would also want to have breakfast and just yeah. like be able to like wind down and you know. Well, like and the the thing was is they were doing the same thing that I was doing, which was like getting up and just walking out the door, you know, right. with because you're not hungry at five. No, you're not hungry at five. <laughs> right. Yeah, unless you're like a bodybuilder, then you eat like six whole chickens a day or whatever you gotta like <laughs> eat at five and then you know eight and two and whatever but anyways um so uh Tenzin, you mentioned soil health is there a relationship between soil health and human health do you think <laughs> absolutely <laughs> how so uh unequivocally i think you know a healthy soil uh is both leads to a healthy plant and is caused by a healthy plant. They feed off of each other. And uh, that robust soil biology is what creates the plant available nutrients and minerals and allows that plant to be in optimal health and contain all the pieces that it wants to contain. And I think, you know, it's really easy, right? Um, If you look at an animal, nobody sees a sick cow and gets hungry. You know what I mean? But then we tend to sort of somehow like step away from that when it comes to plants. And, um, and I think that it's just foolish. I think you, when you're in the grocery store, you want to pick the shiniest, best looking tomato. When you're walking in the woods, if you're a forager, you're going to like want to eat. They just, they look like you want to eat them <laughs> and they taste better and they're certainly better for you. Yeah. Um, you eat with your eyes first. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, and that's led us down some weird rabbit holes, you know, as far as growing tomatoes that taste like cardboard, but look real bright and shiny, even after a long truck ride. But, um, but there is, there, well, so I'll say it this way. There is a, direct correlation between soil health and plant health. And there's a direct correlation between plant health and human health. And the time that it takes between the time that you harvest the plant and eat the plants, which I think is something that people don't talk about enough either. Like, you know, it could be a very healthy plant, but the second it gets cut, it starts losing nutrition from that point until it hits your plate. And so like buy local. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a whole, there's a whole market. I think it's like one of the like ads in Instagram where it was like misfit market where it's just like ugly food or whatever mm-hmm. that would otherwise like be discarded or, um, and maybe that is like nutrient dense food, but like it just, for whatever reason, it doesn't make it to the supermarket because it's ugly or um, who, who knows what, what it is that they do with those but um yeah oh i just want good looking food i don't actually care if it's you know if, if it has any nutrients like it looks good so it must be good right like well mm-hmm. did you actually know that those strawberries that got to that uh grocery store were wrapped in nitrogen and that's why the top is still white like things like that like people are like oh whoa that's crazy i didn't know that um 
So, uh, last last question here, and we can, then we can start wrapping up. Is food equality important? Absolutely. And uh, what do you mean by that? I I think that food equality is hugely important. Um, and I guess what I mean uh, by food equality is that people have access to healthy, fresh, high quality food. Um, and to me, it feels like something that should be very basic, uh, you know, sort of a basic structure of our social, of our culture. Um, but we've gotten away from that as we, you know, do all the weird things to make food look good in the supermarket, we create this really bizarre shift where there's tons of waste and tons of very pretty food with no nutrient value. And then all these places where it's not even worth bringing the produce trucks in and you create these food deserts and things. So there's a lot of weird spinoffs that have happened all uh, along that way. And that was one of the things that was really near and dear to us starting was wanting to make sure that whatever happens, whether it's supply chain disruption or, or whatever, um, in the economy and wherever that our community would have access to food and we can't obviously supply everyone, but we try to do what we can to make that access equitable. Um, and it is, it's a, that is a really tricky thing um, because we also very much do not want to undercut our neighbors and or make ourselves. it, or ourselves, or, you know, make it difficult for other people to enter into this marketplace. So like I said, we can't serve everybody in our community. We're serving 130 families plus these other ones. So somewhere between 200 and 300 families a week during the growing season. Um and that's great and it feels really good but i i obviously realize that that's quick well, math one percent of our well, there needs to be more so. what it needs to come down to is like i i feel like we're setting the blueprint for making it so it's possible for more farms like us to exist so we're trying to figure out how to do it for one thing how can you grow vegetables in this area what are the seeds that need to be bred to make it so it's possible to grow things here that maybe aren't really we do a lot of like um, variety trials for the UW Madison. We're trying to figure out like what can grow here and what kind of seeds do the best for the diseases we have, the short growing season, all of these sort of things. True. And what I really think is like we are serving probably people who either can afford, obviously can afford it or make it a priority to make sure that food, like this kind of food is in their diet. And then we also serve probably the other end of that scale, which is people who can't afford it, and we're sending that food to the um, the food banks. Now, the food bank food is being subsidized by the people who are buying the food through donations. So we're either writing grants or we're just asking them for the money. Yep. And mm. then that money that that food is also being bought for the um, underserved community. Now we're missing a huge portion of like middle. The entire basically the entire middle is missing there, and we realize that that's a shortcoming. But also, I don't think that it's possible for us to. We can't serve everybody, so all we can right. do is sort of like show that this this is a possible way of farming, 
and you can make a living at it. And I think it's also important that we do make a living at it. So we shouldn't lower our prices. And, um, and yeah, like I said, just do like the research that it takes so that when those food chains get disrupted and when the right people come along, that those gaps can be filled. But we also do a lot to, to minimize that middle ground. So we work with our farmer's market. They will double uh, food stamp dollars, essentially. So when you That's cash in ground. your EBT card, you get double available to spend at the market. Um, we uh, work with an organization out of Madison called Fair Share, which has a share a share program. Um, and so they, they are getting donations and grants and things like that. And they will basically contribute to offset the price of CSA shares for anyone, any of their member CSA farms. Um, and that goes down to, I think people can get a full share for like $25 and they, they've got a metric and you just say how many people are in your family and what your annual income is. I still is think that's that sort of hitting thing. kind of like the, you know. Yeah. But I think there's, we do a lot to, to make it not so bougie and handouty and have there's education going all along there to try to erode these sort of uh societal stigmas around farmers market local food organic vegetables and right. it is it's a weird you know kind of like stacy was saying with you know in afghanistan if you don't have as much money what is readily available is local vegetables and what might cost more might be meats and cheeses and those sorts of things. And whereas here, that's all a little bit topsy-turvy in some ways. You can get really, you know, not great quality food, but very calorie-dense food um, for less money. And I also it, really believe, like, those boxed food, like, especially when they are giving those out at the food pantries and things, like, Anybody who's trying to like work their way out of poverty, anyone who's trying to like go to school, if you're if you don't have proper nutrition straight out of the gates, like you're already so far behind. Yeah. Like we should yeah. I I honestly think like there's no point in having extra school programs. There's no point in any of those things until there's proper nutrition. Because it's just you can't do it. It's impossible. It's like Yeah, it, good good food will get uh clear up your head like if you have crap food or yeah, you get brain fog. And that's I mean, especially I, for kids, you, like, you can't yeah. feed kids, kids. pop tarts and think they're gonna like sit through class all day. Like we want. Can't feed me pop tarts and think I'll sit through yeah. class. All day. You can sit through class yeah. anyway. <laughs> so we really, I just, just like pop tarts. We're what? on like lots of boards. I'm on the Hunger Coalition board, which deals with lots of food pantry stuff, and Tenzin's on the Neighbors Place board, which it is a food pantry. So we're taking over the food pantry world here. But just like to better understand the way um, that the food system works and how we can serve it better. That's that's interesting. That's that's pretty cool. Um, was there anything I've got? If you have time after we're done, I've got a couple like very specific questions. Um, if you got time. Uh, but other than that, is there anything that we didn't uh, cover that you wanted to talk more on or um, explain a little bit or like, hey, we didn't talk about this at all? Anything? I don't really have anything specifically, except for I just like if there are people who are interested in farming or homesteading or however 
this like line of thinking, sometimes I think it's so romantic and it is, and I don't think you should ever lose the romanticism of it, but it also is like, it's good work, but it's real work that also deserves to be paid. And I think that it's really important, especially for like farmers who are just starting out or um, anybody who's willing to put a significant amount of energy into a project like this, like it has to be worth it or you won't continue doing it. You can't Mm -hmm. like something more important will always come and take over. So if it's Mm -hmm. something that you really believe in and you really want to continue doing it, you have to make sure it continues to be worth it. And that might be monetarily if it, if that's something that's important to you, or it might mean um, the time that it takes or the food that you're getting back or whatever it is, but it just, it has to be worth it. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually skipped over that question intentionally thinking that we didn't have time to get to it. So I'm glad you, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up on people getting started. So I appreciate that. Um, Tenzin, was there anything else that you wanted to wrap up on? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I feel like that was pretty good. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> you guys compliment each other very well uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> not like i actually do kind of like the the big fu on your shirt i kind of think that's fun yeah thanks that is actually a really old farmers union logo uh it's the farmers I, union. I have to, yeah i didn't even know he was wearing that <laughs> that i have to uh assume was um you know maybe less on purpose less in your face when it comes across now at the nah. time but we unearthed nah, it i like it we said oh this is cool we should bring this logo back and so we, <laughs> we printed up some shirts perfect <laughs> love it uh do you guys uh, wow uh do you guys want to let people know where they can find you follow you uh, know more about what you're doing um well i think that you could easily find us at red door family farm um, on Instagram or Facebook, or our website is reddoorfamilyfarm.com. I will have links to both of those in the show notes. We sell pretty locally, but in case okay. you want to poke around and just, you know, see who we are and what we're all about, you're welcome to check it out. Yeah, you guys got a blog. It's pretty cool. So people can learn more about what you're doing well, that the way. The blog has been a little neglected lately. <laughs> if you want to know what they were doing. <laughs> That's okay. That I, I think our I, kids I, I were like it. a whole different grade when the blog was being <laughs> written. Maybe it'll come back now that now that I said something. It uh, might. You reminded me. Yeah. So I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for having thanks us. Thanks for having us on. You're welcome. <laughs>